You're listening to Caught Red Handed. Listeners, Kenzie here with a short introduction because the content speaks for itself. This episode is another in our series of chats with attendees at the McTube 2022 workshop in Marrakesh. This one with Connie of Created by Connie, a UK henna artist. I hope you enjoy listening to her as much as I did. Let's get into it. Hi, this is Kenzie, aka Lisa of Kenzie Henna, and I'm one of the founders of McTube. And today I'm interviewing Connie for Caught Red Handed. So Connie, I think we met like nine or 10 years ago at HennaCon and you were, I think, a relative beginner at Henna. So what's been happening since then? And tell us a little bit about yourself. Right, Um, my name's Connie and uh, I've been doing Henna, yeah, nine years. And yeah, we did meet at HennaCon. I was uh, a complete beginner. Um, (laughs) I was overwhelmed beyond belief and scared witless and intimidated by absolutely everybody (laughs) um but then after that I um switched to doing henna full-time um I left my part-time job left my part-time job um in a pharmacy and uh within a couple of years managed to find a studio rent rent that studio monthly have a permanent space trade in market fairs and go to all the hennacons and all the festivals and um find out find any british henna teachers who would were taking lessons and start organizing workshops locally for local henna artists and just it, it, yeah it basically it snowballed from wow <laughs> from uh, a small pastime interest that I found while my kids were still young into what it is now um so I've been in Asian wedding awards ceremonies yes you were an award winner (laughs) yeah not many of us can say that I I never know what to do with that (laughs) (laughs) I never know what's the correct way of of handling it um yeah <laughs> um but yeah i'm not sure awards and me are the best fit um and i've been on you know local radio i've been on the national tv and things and my kids are like you know technically you're kind of famous and i'm like well, uh, <laughs> well i wouldn't say that you're bradford <laughs> famous <laughs> I wouldn't even say that. <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> do people stop you in the street? Um, no, but I do get a lot of um, people saying, I follow you on Instagram. Oh, I think I've seen your work before. I get a lot of 
that when people oh, um, stop okay. by for henna. Yeah. Um, and I've only been stopped maybe twice my whole life. Mm. That's in, you know, 10 years. So it's not, you know, anything. I wouldn't call it famous. I would just call it, everybody has a little, you know, five, 10, 15 minutes of fame. I yeah. Think, and, uh, yeah. Uh, I'm, I've had enough. Now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you just want to live your simple life. <laughs> it's just so it's so hard though you know like when these things come to you and you I don't know I think um with the the imposter syndrome it's really hard to know how to handle it because you feel you don't deserve it you feel you don't belong in this space but at the same time as um you know you have to own it and be gracious and gratitude and grateful for it mm-hmm. but then you also have to be humble about it and you can't be you know there's a really yeah. tricky balance yeah it's a lot yeah so so you would have rather just toiled away in obscurity I think I think so I think so um I did a lot of it because um it's what I thought was the right thing to do when you're building a business you know go for go for exposure getting your name out there getting as many people knowing what you're doing as possible because if people don't know what you're doing then they can't they don't know to hire you yeah um but actually um i went to the asian wedding awards this year and um i was in the nominations list but i didn't win anything and it was possibly the most enjoyable awards (laughs) i've had (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I think it, it just brought home to me that they really are not a good match for me it, it's not it's not a feeling that I'm suited to that fits me and that um, it's not something I'm comfortable with at all I was more comfortable not getting recognition and just sitting by and watching other people getting the recognition it was so strange <laughs> yeah but maybe because you already got that recognition you feel like all right I've been val- validated on at a certain moment in time and there's at least that maybe 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 it's because I I had it but then I also feel like it's um where I am now in my henna journey Mm. um and my own personal journey it feels like um I realized that it never was important but it it never I was it's a lot of inner child work, isn't it? We're all, I think, um, post, uh, well, after the last two years and all the lockdowns and the pandemic, I think we're all delving a lot, understanding a lot more about mental health. Definitely. Um, and I've had to go into my mental health. I've had, I was lucky enough to start therapy right as lockdown began. Mm. And um, so it's continued for the last two years. And a lot of it has sort of delved into my childhood my inner child and realizing that constant need for validation was just trying to um soothe somehow soothe the inner child that I didn't know was there Mm, but interesting and yeah but it wasn't but now I understand it better I realize why it was so empty and it you know awards and validation that sort of thing never yeah. really never really helped it never really gave me the confidence that I was looking for interesting do you know what did give you confidence are you still working on that uh I am still working on it um it's it 
you know, uh, it's taken a long time. So like I say, I've been in, you know, regular therapy sessions for two years and it was actually right before I left for Met 2 that um, we hit, We I finally realized that I'd been, I've been living with depression pretty much all of my life. I, I very easily admit to people that I have anxiety um, <laughs> and, because it's almost acceptable, you know. It's, yeah, it's, a, it's almost it's cool. a socially, Yeah, it's a socially acceptable <laughs> mental illness, you know. Everybody <laughs> has it to a certain degree, and, you know, yeah. it's how we live. But I never really could face up to having depression. I thought depression was an episodic um, disorder, and it was something that, you know, comes and goes, and it's not permanent. But then uh, right before I came out to Marrakesh was... Um, literally a week or two after I'd realized I have depression and I live with it on a daily basis and it and it's more <laughs> it's more imposing than my anxiety um, and I think that was the turn a turning point um, in understanding me almost and understanding how I relate to everyone else in the world and and what I do and what myself my myself worth. And so you then you just hopped on a plane and went to a foreign country with a bunch oh, of strangers. Yeah. yeah 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 yeah. So then yeah I was I made a I made a packing list. I you know I've got my journal here and I've got the packing list that I made before and I remember writing the list and just I I didn't book on. I remember I didn't book on when it was first um, launched. And then when the first uh, rescheduling date happened, um, I thought maybe I should book on. I go to all the cons. I go to all the conferences. If I can, it, I, I'd sort of become known for being that person who's so keen to go to all the conferences. Yes. And I didn't book on. And then, but I put myself on the waiting list, I remember. Um, yes, and then I, I remember had, that. I, but in my head, I was still thinking, maybe I'm quite far down on the waiting list and they won't, they won't get to me. They'll get to other people before they get to me. And then it um, rescheduled a second time and um, it was definitely going ahead. And I remember thinking, okay, right. I, I booked this because I kind of knew that it would be good for me after two years of not doing anything. And I knew objectively it would be good for me. Like any learning experience would be good yeah. for me. But I also remember thinking, oh, I, I don't really want to go. I don't wow. Okay. <laughs> I was thinking, I don't, I don't really want to. I, you know, the flight is stressing me out. Mm -hmm. The whole um, COVID pass was stressing me out. The um, the paperwork for the vaccinations was stressing me out. The whole yeah. different rules. You know, in the UK, we have to wear a mask, and actually while we were in marrakesh the rules in the uk changed again yeah so i think they was... changed like the day you arrived yeah so yeah. when we flew out we had to have covid passes and masks but by the time we flew back we didn't need passes or masks <laughs> yeah. it was like by, by the time we flew back covid didn't exist anymore according to our <laughs> government Hold on. so it was yeah it was so it oh it was so tricky there were so many things so many moving parts um that it really made it quite a stressful um trip to plan for and um, yeah 
I was having like two day long slow burning anxiety attacks just because I have travel anxiety anyway and it's um it's traveling with other people that makes me nervous so I tried to travel on my own mm-hmm. I have since learned that it's codependency issues I didn't realize <laughs> also and much like I didn't realize I didn't I have depression I didn't realize I have codependency issues so <sighs> when I'm when I travel with other people I take on their needs I take on their mm. I I feel bad for them like I just try to make their journey as comfortable as possible and then wonder why I'm absolutely exhausted at the end of it and I uh-huh. never realized which is why I have pre-travel anxiety with other people because I'm yeah. too busy. So I was there was a lot of anxiety going into Mektoub and um, and the fact that I'd also opted to room share um, yeah. rather than getting an individual room, even though I knew my own anxiety issues. <laughs> but you you knew who you were sharing with. You chose your roommate, yes. right? Yeah, that helps. Yes, and so... you had an amazing roommate. I did. I, um, so I roomed with Debbie Barbie and yeah. um, she is fantastic. But I remember saying to Jenta that I probably, if I, if not Debbie, then I would opt for someone who's qu- on the quieter side. Mm-hmm. And Jenta's like, oh, Debbie's quite loud. Yeah. <laughs> and, I, and I sort of went, oh, yeah, but I know Debbie. It'll be fine. And, and then... Yeah. When I arrived in Marrakesh, it was those first two or three hours were just so surreal. From getting off the plane, going through security, coming out into this massive atrium type lobby area in the yeah. airport, yeah. coming out to all those drivers with the signs to come and pick us up, the heat, the humidity, um, the dry heat, and then. Yeah the um the business of the, the medina and then walking to the riyadh none of it was like anything i'd ever seen <laughs> before in my life yeah plus I'd, I'd had two years of occasional lockdowns and you know pandemic living um <sighs> it was just i just felt like i was like in a, the being john malkovich like <laughs> just it was <laughs> It was a really, it was so surreal. And so when um, you guys welcomed us and was like, here's some very sugary Moroccan mint tea and some sweet snacks. And, you know, I, I would just, re- I would remember being really spaced out. And then when I went to, when I finally went to my room, like had the strength to say, I'm going to go to my room for a bit because I'm a yeah. bit overwhelmed I was sitting in the room on my own looking at Debbie's bed thinking I can't believe I'm going to room with Debbie who's just the most extroverted spirit yes I've met (laughs) and I'm sitting here having a very quiet anxiety attack about (laughs) this massive sensory overload what was I thinking when I (laughs) said I would share a room with you know, the biggest loving heart I've mm-hmm. ever met in my life mm-hmm. when really what I want to do is hold it, hold up in a, in a, in a very tiny, small, quiet room. <laughs> yeah. And so was that a good mix, a good mix, a good match? Yes, it was um, fantastic. It was, it was wonderful. It was beautiful. Uh, we started off, um, I started off just establishing very clear 
um, open communication about uh, any toilet needs. And ah, yes, any... <laughs> I remember. Th- I remember that discussion <laughs> in our group chat. <laughs> we had, you know, we had, you know, poop code and you know, um, <laughs> sleeping and uh, ear pl- any discussions about snoring and ear pl- like right off the bat, we cleared all the uncomfortable stuff uh, nice. out of the way, <laughs> so that we could just get on with you know living and and getting comfortable. And it worked out really well. She's she's got this really generous maternal spirit that you yes. can't you can't help but feel when you're around Debbie um and it was it was a lovely nurturing space and we it was great I it was a very tearful goodbye at the end of it when we when we uh, when we had to go home so it was if she feels more like a sister you know she yeah. has a maternal maternal energy but she, it does feel more like a sisterhood than, oh, than anything wow. else and so she was basically the roommate you didn't know you needed i think so it was the trip the whole trip was like that the whole trip was um very much uh, something i didn't know i needed um i read through my uh journal entries and it's clear that for the majority so we arrived on a friday yes yeah we arrived on friday and um, it took a good two day and a half, thirty six hours, day and a half at least. Yeah, at least one big sleep and you know several <laughs> big meals before the surrealism finally settled down, and I realised, okay, we're really here, and everybody else is really here. <laughs> we're having real conversations with real people. Um, and we're not having to think about what to cook and we're not having to wash our own dishes and we're not having to socially distance uh, it was just um, yeah it took a while for all of that to, to subside and then based on what I journaled it was Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday five days before I really got into um the energy of the henna i spent a lot of those first few days feeling quite jaded by um by henna in general um oh. i'd got i knew that coming out to you guys was i even remember saying to my husband right well this trip is going to be probably a make it or break it it's been so long since i've had regular henna work and I was, um, I'd had my rent covered for the two years while I, while we were all shut down and I had no work, but I wasn't sure how I was going to emerge out of it. Um, and, um, I did say to him, like, the connection's just not there anymore. I have a lot of trauma with the, my connection to Hannah and, based on how this trip goes, I think we'll decide whether I carry on doing henna like this or whether it just ends up being a hobby that I do on myself from time to time. Um, So when I got to Marrakesh, I was, I had the view point of, this is going to be a cultural holiday, um, something to take (laughs) me away from home and 
more of a travel experience than a henna experience oh, I didn't I didn't okay. really go with the mindset of getting more education on henna mm. um I went because is that because you'd already kind of decided to give up on henna I think um it's not so much that I decided to give up on henna it felt more like the connect I just wasn't bonding. I I always had such a really um, connective bond with Hena, and I always felt like the part of it just clicked and fit, and it just felt like part of me. And I'd got to the point where I felt so disconnected from it, and almost rejected by it. That was was that because of the pandemic or other things. Um, I think it was a combination of the pandemic and other things um, with with the pandemic drying up human connections and human contacts and the ability to be able to sit closely with someone and, and be able to touch them and put henna on them in safely. Yeah. Um, and plus the fact that the online community that I was so entrenched in kind of imploded um and i felt responsible for that implosion that it, it felt like i'd kind of sabotage my own connection mm. and i um, and i guess in a way i felt like i didn't deserve it anymore because i'd caused um Oof. i'd caused this implosion so when i went out it was very much a case of I don't know if this is right for me anymore after what I, after everything I've done to the community and um, after all and the pandemic when it dries up your work you start thinking what am I even doing it for has it has the pandemic dried up my work or have people just decided that when it comes down to it they don't really want me to do the henna because there was people there were people still doing it you know here and there mm -hmm. dotted yeah you know, you really, that, that pandemic really made us all question and reflect a lot about who we are and, you know, what even are we doing, you know? Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. what is life about now? Yeah, what, yeah. You know, what makes me happy? Is this really me? So by yeah. the time I went out, I was really sort of, I'm like, at the very worst, get a Marrakesh, everyone says Marrakesh is amazing. Just have an amazing holiday in Morocco and come back with, you know, souvenirs and holidays and, you know, memories of food and things like that, even if, you know, you don't, you don't connect with henna again. And it was, I had to, I was consciously putting henna as a, a secondary focus for the whole trip. Um, yeah, it was, I went into it feeling like, yeah, the, the pandemic and what happened on with the online henna community was really traumatic um and really disconnected me from everything do you want to talk about that or do you want to just leave it like that um i'm i'm comfortable with talking about it um although there you know there's a lot of names there's a lot of other people involved and um you know you want to it, it's important to respect their privacy and you know their names and things but i 
I'm very open to, I mean, while I was in Marrakesh, I talked a lot about it to um, everybody else who was there because um, I hadn't realized how much I'd held onto it and how much it had traumatized me and how much it had upset me. Um, and I was really mindful of imposing that, imposing that burden on other people. Um, and making people feel my trauma, which possibly was, I, I was possibly the only person who felt it. Um, I could have been imagining it. I could have just been personalizing it. I just, I was really, really scared of oversharing and putting people off mm-hmm. um, and making people think, okay, that's Connie. She used to be all right, but now she's a bit weird. She just keeps talking about an online community that doesn't exist anymore like it's still (laughs) (laughs) um and um sure enough within the first day I think uh, within my first meal I was already talking about it to (laughs) to other people yeah and I was like I'm really sorry to make you guys talk about it because there were three of us at lunch and one person had no idea about the online community and one person did and then one person did but had consciously stayed away from it so I was just like I'm really sorry to to make you guys talk about it Um, (laughs) but (laughs) and I'm really sorry that it's I know it seems like it was you know I'm dwelling on it and yeah I was really really apologetic about it but um, it was it surprised me because they were all really generously sympathetic, empathetic, and really understanding and were able to validate that what I'd been through was a very, very, very difficult episode. And um, the pandemic hadn't helped. It left me feeling because of the time zone differences. And Mm -hmm. actually a lot of the online henna community is based in North America. Mm -hmm. Um, So a lot of the times when it all fell apart, I was in a different time zone with no other online support so it was a very isolating experience plus the fact everyone's trying to focus on you know their um actual daily lives and surviving a pandemic you know they're not they're not going to be online as much your first your first priority is not going to be i'm going to check in on my online friends your priority is like how am i going to make it through another day of lockdown you know yeah um and so yeah it was um and then I kept doing it. I think for the first two days, I kept talking. I kept talking about how um, I'd been through a really isolating period and how I'd felt really disconnected from the henna community as whole, and I just was carrying a lot of guilt um, and trauma. And then it was only after day two that I just finally thought, okay, it's time. It's time to just shut up now. Stop. <laughs> Going, I have to, I have to ask you about this before we move on to more of the MacTube stuff. But you keep saying guilt and trauma and blame, yeah. and my little knowledge of the situation, I feel like you were kind of a whistleblower. Yes. And so I don't know. I f- I feel like you're heaping a heaping the blame on yourself instead of the system. Yeah. 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 Which is actually what I learned from my time in Mektub and being around 
the other hand, the other artists and the, the other attendees, um, those first two days were all about me heaping all the blame on myself and definitely taking it, taking it as um, something that I did wrong, mm. um, which is actually part of depression. It turns out it's my depression lying to me. Um, uh. That's that's how my depression manifests by making everything my fault mm. um and that's how i attack myself and it was being around others that, um, pointing out that if a system could implode so easily then it was fragile to begin uh, with yes mm-hmm. and yes and if it took just someone like you to poke it a little bit for its wall fall apart like that it was built on you know a glass foundation it was never it yeah. wasn't built to last Um, and it sounds really, um, I feel, I feel, my depression tells me this sounds really (laughs) childish and very needy, but just to hear someone say that, someone actually saying to me, you did us, you did us all a favor when you, when it, when it all came crashing down, you did us all a favor. You did what a lot of people had already been trying to do, but hadn't hadn't either had the momentum to do it or had the volume or courage to do it you did everybody a favor and we're all grateful to you for having done it because it needed to be done and it never occurred to me that that anybody would feel like that but (laughs) I I just thought because I have a lot of voices actual people I work I've worked with or been around who just say oh but it was one of the best communities online communities it had so much information it was it was just the best it had everything and they're right it did it did have everything we all turned to it um, yeah. as much as whenever we needed anything we referred clients there you know we yeah. sent everybody there yeah and so for it to be gone I I, I felt the loss more than the benefit of it really um in my circles here in Bradford and in the UK and it was only when I went out to Morocco and was around other international um, attendees that as I say explicitly validated me that I was like <laughs> okay so there, there is another viewpoint to this it's, yeah it, it, your depression feel, is not always right yeah my depression is never right <laughs> so, but yeah it's never ever right but yeah it was it's been tough just um, to realize that yes something great has been lost but it was always built on um, colonialism and colonialistic mindset and privilege yeah and exclusivity and and exclusivity that and it was never uh, equitable for everybody Mm -hmm. who who needed to access it and that's that's still something I'm working on um, accepting, just um, realizing that I didn't destroy something. <laughs> no, no. And, you know, some things are meant, it, it, there have been so many other henna communities online that have come and gone. Yes. And usually for the same reason. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, it's almost hubris to think that you can build something. It, it, I mean, let's be honest that a bunch of white American, mostly Western mm. henna artists can build an mm. inclusive community. It, you know, mm. maybe now we can, I don't know, but 
we've tried many, many times and we get tripped up. Yeah, it's, it's, I started seeing the henna community as um, a microcosm of um, what humanity was facing. Mm -hmm. It's almost, and I'm mm -hmm. sure every other specialist yes. niche community feels exactly yep. the same way that yep. their little community was facing the same um, issues as yeah. humanity as a whole, you know, Black Lives Matter and um, Me Too um, and all of these social movements and political movements were acting out in their own way in everybody's micro culture. Yeah. And in Henna, it was so clear. It was just really abundantly clear where, where the how white privilege had shaped a lot of the um, international henna industry. Yeah. You know, henna, we all know that henna can, belongs to many cultures. Well, I say we all know, we know that <laughs> henna belongs <laughs> <us> to. <laughs> yeah, we, we know that henna belongs to many, many cultures and has a very long and varied, varied history um, from our studies and from our learning and from our exploration, but the modern henna industry as we knew it was very much um, formed on a sort of a, a colonialist mindset. Mm -hmm. And um, like you said, the exclusivity that came with that, you know, it ended up being some people becoming gatekeepers and um hazing new starters you know new new henna artists would get hazed by the uh, old old timers and are you professional enough are you Good professional enough to go pro? yeah are you you know do you have consistent work do you mix yeah. do you mix safely where do you get your henna from um how dare you use imported pre-made henna and just a, there was a lot of judgment <laughs> yeah. a lot of yeah. gatekeeping a lot of yeah. In invented um, invented regulations mm -hmm. around something that Even has certification yeah uh, everything everything you yeah. know uh, and it's around an art form that's existed for five millennia mm -hmm. <laughs> it just seems when you view it through a different lens you realize how ridiculous that is yeah but when you're entrenched in it and you're in the middle of it, like I was, uh, I was like right in the eye of the storm and I was fully subscribed to everything that I had been told. You, you, you can't see it. You, th you know, you quite happily participate in it. Mm -hmm. And often it comes from a place of needing to belong you know, so I, I felt I'd found a community where I'd found a family where I belonged and people understood me. Mm. And I wanted to fit in and be accepted. And so I happily um, participated. Assimilated. Feeling assimilated. I'm, yeah. I'm very good at assimilating. <laughs> and just just to to belong. Um, yeah. And I just didn't question it. And it was, and I think it's because I'm not white and I'm not a white American mm -hmm. um, that the differences started to slowly creep up on me that I, 
I could feel the differences, but um, I couldn't put my finger on what it, what it was exactly that I was feeling. I could just feel that it, something was off and I wasn't comfortable with it. And it happened actually, it started long before the pandemic. Um, um, but the conversation of cultural appropriation was, was a repeated topic um, online. And so it came up a couple of times before um, COVID hit, but it was only when COVID hit and Black Lives Matter hit. And then suddenly there was this, hu this huge new lexicon and vocabulary of um, racial tension mm -hmm. and privilege and exclusivity and um, cultural appropriation <clears throat> that I didn't have before. Um, you had new language to talk about had, that feeling. Yeah, I had new language. I had a new understanding. There were yeah. there were studies. There was more um, sociological understanding of the phenomena of what I had been feeling wow. for a while, yeah. for quite a for you know anywhere up to a year that I didn't have before. And then once I was equipped with the language, I was finally able to go back in and you know, really express what I, what in a root, in at what it seems that when I look back, it was more rudimentary than it would be now, but it was the best I could do at the time yeah. to ex explain the discomfort that I was feeling and why it was uncomfortable and why it was wrong and why it needed to change and what needed to change mm -hmm. for, for that, for that, feeling to go away and it, and yeah it just it all felt wrong it just all mm -hmm. suddenly felt really really wrong yeah and um even when I was explaining it to um the others in the in my t in the team um I still wasn't feeling like I was explaining it properly because they were asking things of me like asking me to explain more about why this and what they could do to um to help but i think we know now um two years since the massive black lives matter protest mm -hmm. that you can't teach you can't ask a marginalized person to mm -hmm. tell you how to help how them to behave yeah how yeah. to help them be less marginalized mm -hmm. if for an active ally you have to do the work yourself exactly to yeah. do the self-exploration and to look at your own systems and un dismantle it yourself you, you can't put the entire workload onto the marginalized to yeah. to tell you to spoon feed you what you need to right do. right exactly <laughs> But you've but been good time, about giving people um, directions to look. You've been recommending books and things like that. Yes, I I have tried that. Um, but I but yeah, with the team at the time, those were the discussions that I was having, and I remember just not knowing. I'm like, I don't I don't know what to tell you. Google mm -hmm. it. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, there are book lists everywhere about this topic. Everyone's yeah. publishing book lists. Yeah. <laughs> Where to but go now to learn? I'm, I'm talking to you about this two years since the event. At the time, it was still very early days in those sorts of book list recommendations. You know, yeah. there weren't as many 
it wasn't such a trendy topic to talk about. It was still very um, triggering for a lot of people to talk about. Yeah. Um, I mean, it still is now, but at the time it was exceptionally so because it was so fresh. Everyone was mm. so raw from guilt. Yeah, <laughs> white fragility. Yeah, uh, you know, which I also experienced. I always, I feel like I have a foot in both sides because I yeah. grew up in a very white, small town. Mm-hmm. And was very unaware how different I was until the age of 10 or 11 um, because I just assimilated so so well. Um, but, uh, and when you're just surrounded by whiteness, you don't, you, for me, it was, I just uh, got that I wasn't white because as far yeah. as I was concerned, I live in whiteness, therefore I right. must be white. Right. <laughs> And and so um, yeah, I I pass as white a lot because of how I speak, how I express myself, um, because of my um, privilege to access edu- higher education, um, all of that. I I can pass into white spaces quite smoothly, um, and it's only when I'm there for a prolonged period and I start to get this slight discomfort that I realise something's off. And I don't, and then slowly realize it's because I'm different. Um, yeah. Because ultimately I'm not white. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I had to, I've, I feel like in the, in the movement, I've done exploration on both sides, like exploring my own fragility as well as exploring how, uh, and exploring how to be more of an ally as well as exploring how to advocate more for myself in, uh, mar- when, in situations where I feel marginalized. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a lot <laughs> yeah now that I talk about it I sort of realize yeah, that it is yeah. it is a lot when it comes also faced with the fact that I'm trying to dismantle <laughs> the racism in my own community <laughs> and, and uh, oh you know living with depression and facing you know my own internal rejection as well as um <laughs> A, a social a very real social rejection that I was experiencing so yeah. yeah it was a lot and that's what I came into Mektub with wow so <laughs> it was it was a really overwhelming really overwhelming trick but it was really needed because it I was able to connect with other humans who were part of the same community yeah but face to face not online yeah which is because it's so rich. one thing yeah, it's one thing your friends in the real mm-hmm. telling you it's okay. It's just, a, you know, they kind of say it's an online community and, you know, you're, you're doing, you're doing things, you're making changes, positive changes. But it's one thing my husband's saying it, who is not part of the henna community. And mm-hmm. it's another thing, a fellow henna artist like uh, yourself, um, Sandy, Dreaming in Henna. Yeah. She, I also met her the same time I met you, my first Hennacon. Yeah. And so to be able to connect with her again, this is only the second time we've, maybe the second time we've connected. So she's almost like bookending. The, oh, nice. Um, yeah. So, so yeah, you and Sandy were like bookends from the beginning and, and from oh, to where funny. I am. Yeah. Um, now, um, it was really important that I reconnect with people like you yeah. to just shut that depression up, the beast of depression. Yeah. 
and make it realize that it was completely wrong and not based in logic or fact nice. at all. <laughs> Done. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, it, it was a lot. When you were talking about, um, like, the actual, the issues that were, that were coming up about appropriation and, you know, who owns henna, who controls henna, how how was your attitude about that changed being in Marrakesh with Mektoub and meeting Moroccan henna artists in person and learning from them? Um, I, I would say since Mektoub, appropriation is still something that I am still um, dealing with in my henna art and things that I create with henna. But the difference with Mektoub and learning from Moroccan henna artists was being there in person with a, a Moroccan henna artist was just it felt like tapping into the motherland, you know, <laughs> just <laughs> tapping into the root and having, um, I think having that firsthand interaction with them and feeling them give their art so generously to this international bunch of very different people. <laughs> it's okay, you can say weirdos. Yeah. <laughs> That's it's a compliment. A international weirdos. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, sort of all leaning in, craning in over, pouring over everything they Yeah. It was, um, it, it sort of took away the feeling that I was appropriating. It sort of made me realize that actually, um, I can do Moroccan henna because this very amazing Moroccan henna artist has taught me how to do it, has shown me how they do it, and has specifically imparted this knowledge to me with the intention yes. of me also doing it. Right. Um, and it. And when I and the other thing was. Um, that the henna artists that we learn from, these amazing artists that we learn from, are also we're also aware that the raggledy bunch of weirdos that they had, a lot of them were creative entrepreneurs, business owners who would were there to learn, with a view to be able to return home, continue their artwork, and infuse their creations with what they had learned in Morocco. So it wasn't like they were teaching us. In, a, in naively and right. presuming that we were there to absorb but not use mm -hmm. and, and absorb and not apply. They, the, the it was specific. It was very clear that we were there to absorb what we needed, take what we needed and leave what we didn't need, which was very much the ethos of the whole week. Mm -hmm. um, and it felt like we were being gifted with 
a history of Morocco and Moroccan henna and Moroccan henna influences to take home and do whatever we needed to do with it when we, whenever we returned home. Like we had their blessing. Yes, it definitely, yeah. especially, especially with the um, ceremony at the end. Which oh was, my God. <laughs> Tell just, me what that felt like for you. Oh, um, it began, uh, well, after dinner, there was a rush because we were all aware we were late. Um, and that the that musicians was the theme had of a, Yeah, like the musicians arrived but didn't get the message that we were late. So we were all sort of, oh, oh, we're really sorry. We're all coming in really gracious and really apologetic because we're all sorry we're the late Westerners yes. who have completely yes. disrespected your time. Yes. <laughs> Let us come in and be the most respectful audience you could possibly wish for because we're just so sorry that we're late. Um, and um, and it was in the timetable as an evening of you know musical entertainment. And I went, walked in, thinking okay it's going to be an evening of light entertainment with uh, local musicians and we'll probably do some henna while they're performing and it'll be yeah a little bit <laughs> background music putting, yeah i thought it'd be background music and someone putting a move you know that sort of environment there'll be a movie on in another room and we'll all be yeah. sort of very chill is that's what I went in expecting it to be. Same. And and then, yeah, and then they started playing and I was like, oh, okay, so it's local instruments. And we all know with indigenous musical instruments to um, a westernized white ear, it sounds unrefined and very primitive. And so I was like, okay, right. I'm going to have to smile politely and clap politely and pretend to understand and enjoy what's happening in this very primitive, um, very authentic musical entertainment that I've never heard before, that I've never experienced before, that I, that we didn't, none of us even really, we didn't even have a sort of introduction explanation of what the instruments are or anything. You know, there was right. literally, I had no understanding of this Yeah. when I sat down and when it all started and the singing started. Um, Sorry about that, by the way. <laughs> frightening the really shocking thing was how by three pieces in by the time we got to the third piece of music I was crying I was crying you know from like if you want to get anatomical the crying was coming from the diaphragm underneath my lungs you know it was yeah. literally coming out from my yeah. gut yeah um and it was a really cleansing sort of cry that um, I didn't know I needed although <laughs> if I'm really honest I kind of knew I needed it because it had been brewing all week mm. because of the conversations I was having with everyone around me and um, the topics that were being brought up um, so by the time that last night happened where I thought I was going to go into a room with some background music and we were all going to henna until about 3 o'clock in the morning I ended up being emotionally moved to tears and feeling emotionally spent and going to bed about 9.30 or 10 o'clock. I cannot stay up and do henna at all. I am going to go to sleep because that was a lot. And I 
and it didn't even require me to speak mm-hmm. or there was no there was one point where uh, I think um, the first piece or maybe the second I can't remember whether it was Malika or Aisha when that played and we were we stood up and we were asked to stand up and move and dance mm-hmm. and I'm like, oh my god, we have to stand up, we have to move, oh my god, yeah. we have to dance. This feels so <laughs> awkward, Same. I don't have enough space to move, I don't mm-hmm. know how to dance to this, this is not music that I know, I'm just going to wave my arms around and step, mm-hmm. sway my hips a little bit, move my shoulders, hope nobody's looking at me, I'm not looking at anyone else and so no one's looking at me. It was, I just, even then, the second piece, I was still really awkward, like this mm-hmm. is just weird music that I don't know. But yeah, like I said, the third piece when we, when they played Mirror, and they asked us to close our eyes and mm. envision where we see ourselves and what we need, um, where we're going and a goal and just envision it as they played the piece. And then at the end, they would tell us when we could open our eyes and you know, the, the ceremony would help us manifest and bring our goals um, to fruition. And I was closing my eyes like okay what do I think what do I think do I have a goal I don't have a goal what do I have? have a goal quick have a goal everybody needs to have a goal when they close the prize <laughs> why why can't I envision anything and um and I ended up just thinking about the feeling that I had that whole week while I was there um and I remember thinking about that sense of um belonging and connection and the sensation that I don't need to explain myself to anybody who matters and anybody who matters to me won't need an explanation and I don't need to explain why I take this that I need but don't take that that I don't need and I don't also need to um be of service to absolutely everyone in order to be valid you know there was there was it was just all these words that I'm saying they were just part of the feeling that I was trying to encapsulate in my head while they started playing La La Mira and um and by the end of it it was just so many I started off going no I'm not going to cry this is not this is this is not a cry. Why do I feel like I need to cry? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sitting here listening to music in another country with yeah. a bunch of henna artists. Why tears? Yeah, th- with musicians playing music that I just cannot comprehend. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, I, and I could feel the, the emotion bubbling up in my chest and coming up and the lump in my throat forming yeah. and then this slow tear building up in my eyes and then overspilling and then coming out and then before I knew it I think by the end of it I remember actually going <laughs> like for us just taking a gasp because it yeah. it, it just come, come in a really slow wave and just mm. taken over me mm. and I was sit, sitting next to Debbie um, throughout the whole thing and when it came to opening our eyes and looking around again the first thing she did was check on me are you okay and hold my hand give it a squeeze and she was sniffing herself and I'm like <laughs> yeah okay <laughs> big 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 sniffs um just I didn't 
I didn't think I could be more cynical. I don't think there could have been a more cynical person in the room. Although it sounds like you and I were very, <laughs> very much on the same page when it, um, and to have ended up so emotional after that was, yeah. it's something that I have since been unable to explain to anybody. Yeah, same. I can't explain what happened. I don't know why it happened. Yeah. Um, maybe it was just a culmination. You know, if you want to um, rationalize it, maybe it was just a culmination of a week long emotional experience that culminated in one intimate evening of music. Yeah, and I it guess. Could, maybe it could have been like, <laughs> you know, disco music and you would have cried we don't know yeah you know it could have been Gloria Gaynor I will survive you probably would have cried you yeah. know maybe that's what it was you yeah know, it wasn't the Gnawa it wasn't the ceremony maybe it was just that moment in time that maybe it was know, the incense the in the air it was getting exactly. in your eyes and it, it, the incense them. and the heat yeah you know, and the and the full stomach from the delicious food yeah and, that's you know. it yeah yeah I mean it, <laughs> you know it's funny because we I, <laughs> We hired them kind of sight unseen. My friend here, who's a Ganawa artist, recommended this guy. And there's like Ganawa that you do for like the tourists to show off, you know, the the music. And we thought that's, you know, he would just do that. And we didn't know it was a literal healing ceremony, which mm. is done traditionally in Morocco to this day. So mm. um, I guess we needed healing. Yeah, it was such, um, I... I feel really privileged to have to have been given the ceremony. Yeah. Um, and I feel like it was very mektub that we had it, but yeah. <laughs> it was so unplanned and yeah. um, blindly done. And yet faded. And, and set, yeah, and yet absolutely perfect. Yeah. So the absolutely perfect way to end the mctube journey it was yeah. um i still oh yeah i can't i and i still remember when they started there were already sniffs in the room people were already oh, crying yeah. i was crying from the beginning I, <laughs> yeah and i was like why is kenzie crying <laughs> why are they sniffing and yeah jumper, jumper running in with perfume and incense and then yeah. sitting back down and he was also already crying i was like yeah what are they crying about what what is there to cry about? I don't understand. It's the and then, you know, yeah, yeah, it must be the smoke. Maybe it's yeah. just the smoke. Maybe it's, you know, they still feel bad that we're all late and the smoke and they, you know, maybe they were crying because is. we were late. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so, and like I say, it took me three pieces of music before it hit me. And then I was like, oh, that's why they're crying. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It was <sighs> some sort of spiritual that I can't can't explain and probably will never be able to explain. Um, I very much like things, you know, logical and rational yeah. and scientific. Um, and even myself, sometimes I talk about holistic health and you know spiritual health with a bit of my tongue in cheek, you know, in a sort of you know if you believe in that sort of thing then the universe will you know take yeah. care of it and yeah you know 
I like to say that the universe is looking out for us and I do like to think that I have a faith in and I do have spirituality like that but ultimately I do come back to logic and science and I yeah. want to I want to be able to explain it and, and I still can't explain that what happened I can't either I wish time. I could say that we planned that that this is exactly <laughs> what we wanted to happen but I was completely floored by it too I yeah I thought it was going to be music yes yeah that's funny <laughs> you know it's funny I'm looking at my list of questions and I was like it's all like very kind of surface stuff like you know what was your favorite purchase and things like that and we've just like delved into so many deep things but I am curious like what w what else besides everything that happened in the Riyadh what else was especially um, memorable or exciting or moving that, I think for me that that's the thing that's most peculiar about Maktoub was that I don't think there was anything singular and specific that really stood out as um, the strongest impression mm. from the week away. It felt more like a, uh, a series, a sequence of events, small, small things that all piled up on one another um, and just all fell in line. And they were all tiny messages that I was hearing from other people or from the surroundings around me that all built up to that last, that all built up to not even the last night, I'd say it was. Uh, two days before the penultimate day mm. our last full day was Thursday so the penultimate full day was Wednesday and it was Wednesday when it, the henna click was on Wednesday when Fatima was teaching the Saharawi syringe style oh, yeah. and um, I was still so um, disenfranchised with henna even on that Wednesday morning when I woke up mm -hmm. um, normally when I go to these learning events I'm a student who sits at the front who gets up early and you know tries to absorb everything but by Wednesday I was actually consciously getting out of bed later and taking longer to get ready and I was really um, quite cavalier and taking sitting at the back um, and looking at the projector rather than looking at the artist and um, and I was sitting near you and Samantha and Jeannie and watching the work and just suddenly feeling like holy wow I've never seen anything like this <laughs> where is the syringe where is the hemicone I need to try this and I need to cool. this is just crazy yeah inspiring yeah and she I remember really, she really wanted me to get hands hands on at that point mm. and I remember the four of us just looking at each other going holy crap <laughs> what are we watching right now what yeah. are we even witnessing yeah. I have never seen any henna like this in my life, you know, <laughs> ha happening in front of my eyes. 
I've seen um, pictures um, of it, but I haven't seen it in real life. And now yes. it's seared into and my it, brain. Yeah, it was, um, that was the U-turn moment for me. And that was the penultimate day. Mm, yeah. You know, at that point, I was like, that's it now. Uh, I guess this is this is it for me and Hannah. Um, <laughs> I guess I, at this point, I will be comfortable to go back to the UK and start winding down the business slowly over the course oh, wow. of this year. I am, I can see myself doing it. I guess I could. Uh, I think I was even thinking like I could get a part time job and just do henna part time. It's totally doable. A lot of people, be, it's a sensible thing to do, especially post-pandemic. It's not, you know. And then I saw Fatima work and all of those thoughts just flew out of my head because wow. all I was thinking was, I need to try this and I need to get my head around what she is doing because this is some kind of crazy, mystical, magical henna that I've never seen before in my life. <laughs> And she, she just, she basically gave us the keys she, because yeah. she showed us how to do it because yeah. she did it live in front of us. She gave us the keys to unlock it ourselves. Yeah. Whereas when you've seen pictures in the past, you look at it and go, that's amazing. I can't imagine where to begin. Yeah. Um, because we all learn henna from looking at other people's work and other people's design. And often... One of the things is finding the first line. If you can look at someone's work and you can see the first line, you can start to teach yourself. Yeah. But with Saharawi, there was just no first line. Yeah. <laughs> There's no yeah, first line. Exactly. There's exactly. no starting point. Yeah. So what, what Fatima did was show us where that first line is and unlocked it for us. And your brain just sort of, there was this mushroom cloud that came out and you're like, well, now I need to see more so that I can figure out more. So yeah. that I can unlock more, so that I can try more, um, and and it was. I remember saying to you, I have not felt this fascinated by any henna for a long time. Yeah, yeah. And that was just from the syringe. What were you feeling when she pulled out the tape and started doing tape designs? Holy moly! When she pulled out the tape, I was like, I've done tape resist. I've tried tape resist. Yeah, you know, no big deal. I, you know, like I've tried and I've had, I've participated in online chats with the, with you and Jemper about tape resist and I've contributed to, you know, discussions about how to get the tape thinner and how to, you know, what tape to use. And yeah. I've bought the Leucoplast and I've tried this and I've tried that. So, no, it will be interesting to see what she can teach because it's going to, you know, it's probably going to be something I don't know what she's going to teach, basically. <laughs> just, yeah, you already knew and, the concept of it. Yeah, and then when we sat down and I was like, it's not going it's not going to be a, a structured lesson she's going to demonstrate. And I was like, are we going to learn that much, though, from a demonstration? <laughs> you know, the, the teacher in me, the person who's used to sitting in lessons and the person mm -hmm. who's used to teaching lessons is like, I kind of need a lesson plan and a structure and I want to know how she's going to, you know, mm -hmm. test us at the end. Step one. Are we going to, yeah, are we going to learn anything? And then we sat and watched her and I was like, oh my God, just, just watching her work really was yeah. learning. Like yeah. we didn't need a lesson. 
a lesson structure. Like some people come into conferences and they want lesson plans. They want to see what's going to yeah, be taught. They want, they want to know handbook. what. Yeah. They want the learning objectives. They mm-hmm. want to know, you know, what you will achieve and you know all that. And so when I went into this, I was like, am I going to achieve anything out of this? But then when we watched her, I was. It didn't take long for all of us to go. Oh my god. Yeah. Okay. And she made it look so easy as well. She made it look really, really easy and really accessible,、mm-hmm. um, like really ridiculously straightforward and accessible. So I、yeah. was like, okay, right, she's here. <laughs> okay, I'm going to be a good student. I'm going to get some tape and I'm going to try it in the lesson. And I think I was one of one of the first people to sit there with the scissors and the tape. Yeah, and be like, I'm going to try this. And then I started. And one of the chicks was、uh, take a section of electrical tape, and then fold it over on itself. Yeah. And then <laughs> that little tab of folded tape, you take your scissors and you cut it into the thinner strips, or you use your pinking shears and you cut the zigzags. Yeah. So I was sitting there, and I was only <laughs> I'd cut a section of tape, and all I did, all I was trying to do was fold it. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I was trying to do. Meanwhile, Fatima is demonstrating this amazing piece. Everyone's going, "Ooh, ah, wow!" Yeah. And I just, like, the, like a proper insolent, disruptive child, I just suddenly went, "Guys, you need to try this folding business. It's not <laughs> as easy as she made it look." No, it is not. <laughs> and everyone's going, still working、oh, on that. You, you, Megan. Yeah, right. And then, then we, the tape started getting passed around, and、yeah. oh my god, just folding the tape was、yeah. just. Like how to fold the tape without getting it crinkled,、yeah. <laughs> having lumps, having it line up perfectly. Yeah, I think I finally got it after practicing so many times since I got back. Yeah, I I have, <sighs> I reached the point of accepting that it may never be perfect, and that's okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that's the point. It's not、yeah. supposed to be perfect, and it and as as with all things, henna henna is the most forgiving medium. It's the imperfections that make it beautiful, and you know,、yeah. it's the imperfections that you notice that make you see the human element of the design yeah, and of the、light. creation. Exactly, and movement, and you know,、um, but yeah, I ca- I came out of that just my brain that day with Fat- Fatima's two lessons were the were the turning point.、Um, So they weren't necessarily like the, my like the favorite parts. They were just the parts where I felt something massive shifted in me. Yeah. Because I came away from that day with like if if you know me, if anyone knows me, they know that I tend to I get really passionate about things, and then my brain will go overwire into thinking of new ways. Yeah, and try to innovate new ways to do something、mm-hmm. that I've just been taught, and I came away from that lesson thinking, right? I'll spend I spent evenings googling and looking for different types of tape,、uh-huh. exploring different types of scissors, yes, exploring different <laughs> types of cutting methods,、um, exploring、Same. different types of scissors with different types of edges of blades, and you know, I found.、Um, Masking tape that、um, car artists use for airbrushing. Oh right! Yeah. So 
and that comes in really fine like two millimeter thickness yeah. you don't have to fold the tape you don't yes. have to fold it yes it. <laughs> it just became an obsession I've got a whole kit now just dedicated to tape yeah and scissors and I'm talking <laughs> to a friend who has an army of laser cutting machines yeah. uh, that will be able to I should be able to design on my iPad a sheet <laughs> yeah and then she should be able to apply it to her machines her cutting yeah. machines yeah. to vinyl backing yep. tape yep and cut it out for me to try to do perfect. future and then you'll have tape perfect. Yeah. and I my brain has not done that for <laughs> two two years you know, feels two so good though right yeah to have that part of your brain um it's almost like I think as artists, we have this creative itch, and to not have had that itch scratched yeah. for two for two years because of the pandemic, pandemic, and possibly another year before that when we were all burning out, creatively burning out. Mm -hmm. So yeah, three years of not having that creative itch to have a day of learning with someone who massively ignites that and leaves you coming away just overflowing with ideas. Is, the drug. Um, yes, massive drug. Um, it was. I didn't think it was possible. <laughs> I was really jaded. Yeah. <laughs> and I really didn't think it was possible. My goodness. <laughs> I, d you know, you you think I've learned all there is to learn. Surely mm -hmm. I've done all the lessons there are yep. to have out there. Mm -hmm. And then and then that happened. Um, and yeah, it's. It reignited, you know, that part of my brain that had all these creative thoughts and ideas. But it also made me um, want to learn things again um, and want to learn from other people again. So, yeah, that was definitely the landmark moment, landmark day. Yeah. Of, of the whole trip. Yeah. Yeah, truly. <laughs> and then the day after you went and sat by a ice cold river eating tagine. I think Thursday? that was actually I think that was the day before Wednesday was Urika. No. Oh Tuesday Wednesday was Urika? Let me look Let's it up. See. <laughs> oh my gosh. I'm trying to Thursday. remember. I thought I thought Urika was on Thursday, but you know knows i don't know i can't even find my calendar anyway i but think yeah Hachi there was tuesday was half tuesday was the half day trip to arika oh okay was wednesday yeah oh okay yeah okay so the other so, way around yeah well you see the the, the trip the half day trip to arika was uh it was the best food we keep God, saying yeah. it I know. We keep Amazing. saying it was the best food, but I can't. The, everything was like a flavor explosion. It was yeah. the, the tomatoes tasted like they were fresh off mm -hmm. the plants. Mm -hmm. The onion tasted like it was freshly, you know, uprooted. Mm -hmm. um, everything just tasted like it just couldn't possibly have been more fresh. It just came straight to us, straight to the table. Um, and that day was when I had um made peace with slowly departing from henna 
because that because that oh. trip in the mountains was so cleansing mm-hmm. and nourishing yeah it was nourishing for the air the water the surroundings the mountains the food mm-hmm. and the nap in the coach on the way back it was so Everyone nourishing <laughs> yeah it was just a half day of like full nourishment mm-hmm. and um even sitting in the lesson um afterwards it was the first lesson of the week where i pushed myself to the front and volunteered my hand as the as the model oh, and right. if you've ever been to a conference with me in the past that's usually me on every lesson that's me at the front going <laughs> here do me do me i'll be your model i'll be your model that's usually me but it no it taken half the week for me to even get to that point because in my head i'd made peace with where i was at with henna i'd made peace with you know what what will be will be what come what may this is it and I'm okay with it I'm at peace with it now so that was the half day at Uruka and that was the day before the the Harawi syringe and take this is when the massive U U turn (laughs) happened yeah so you basically needed the mountain air to kind of clear you for the for the breakthrough (laughs) yeah but again as with everything um on MacTube I remember thinking do I have to go on the half day trip? Because I knew Jennifer was going. Down. Yeah. Yeah, I knew Jennifer wasn't going. Although, like, admittedly, all of you, all three of the you guys organizing badly needed to rest. Oh god, yes. The whole. yes. And so he was taking a well, well earned, well deserved, and much needed um, rest breathing stop. So I was like, Jennifer's not going. Maybe I don't need to go. Maybe I could just, you know, have a lie in and have a rest day maybe I don't need to go and Debbie woke up and I thought I guess I could wake up (laughs) I guess I could go on the trip I guess it's I mean it's 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 a coach trip you know I could probably sleep on the coach rest on the coach you know it hopefully it won't be too taxing it says light hiking I'll be okay. And it was another one of those, like, maybe I don't need to do it. And then coming away thinking that was the most nourishing thing I could have done for myself (laughs) this whole year. This whole year. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know whether it, it was the, the thing about Mektub for, for, I think for many of us was um, after the toil of the last two years, and many of us artists being quite codependent on our loved ones around us to be to consciously sign up and engage and in a trip like this an immersive trip like this and remove ourselves from our daily lives meant that we were making a choice to detach from our codependent habits and force ourselves to really look at ourselves and um, check in with ourselves and um, be really conscious about what we need and what we're doing for ourselves because we're away from home. We're away yeah. from, you know, for me, I was away from my kids, my two kids and my husband. And then I meant I was away from 
you know, calls from my parents or siblings and, you know, away from all of those daily influences in my life. And all I had to think about while I was away was, I didn't even have to think about when I was going to have my next meal because you guys had planned all of that. And you guys had planned when we're eating, where we're eating most of the time and mm -hmm. what we're doing for the day. So I didn't even have to think about that. Yeah. I just had to focus on me. Being and, telling, me. and telling Debbie when you needed to poo. Yeah. And checking, <laughs> checking when Debbie needed to poo. <laughs> and also making sure Debbie was pooing and that we were both flossing and, that we, were both <laughs> and we were both keeping our teeth clean. Um, yeah. And that we were both resting and we were both sleeping okay and you know um, that's all all i had to do um and it sort of was a week-long exercise of checking in with myself and realizing that i hadn't checked in with myself for many years mm. and i'm i'm quite sure that happened to many of us on the trip because because that's really all the, all, that was really the most taxing thing you needed to do the whole time because everything, you guys had created a space that was, that we could engage in and feel stimulated by, but also not have to think about being of service you know, thinking about what do we have to do to get this, you know, we just mm -hmm. had to turn up, we just had to be there. Um, and it's like in, as well as in my Hannah journey, in my personal journey, like to definitely was um, a, tur a turning point for my personal development. Mm. And you know, coming since coming home, even my therapist would say that the amount of work that we're getting through on my therapy sessions is like skyrocketed. And oh, wow. um, you know, journaling and internal work and things like that. It's just the progress made in the last in the last six months. No, yeah, in this year, since the beginning of this year, October now, is greater than the amount of work done in the eighteen months prior to that. I would say. And I can, I can feel the difference and my kids can feel the difference. Like family life, it can feel the difference. It's, um, wow. But I think it's because it punctuated that point in all our history of yeah. you know, post-pandemic traveling mm -hmm. as well. So, yeah, there's part of me that's like, how are they going to replicate this? <laughs> I don't know. Now I'm like, I'm getting very nervous. But we're going to use this in our promotional materials that it's going to make your therapy much easier and your family's yeah. going to like you better. Yeah, yeah. It's going to be healing, you know. You're going to find your inner child and you'll be yeah. able to hear your inner child for the first time if you thought you didn't have an inner child. Yeah. I really didn't think I had an inner child. I really didn't. <laughs> but it was just, it wasn't just, it wasn't anything that you guys consciously did though it was literally creating the space and these connect these connections and these conversations happened not even with you as organizers and not even with the teachers and instructors it was amongst amongst ourselves it was yeah. who you sat who we sat next to on the coach 
who we sat next to for the first meal, the second meal, the third yeah. meal, you know, um, who you who were drawn who. to. Yeah, who henned who, who you were drawn to, who you ended up walking next to, to the, to the palace, and who you ended up walking around the palace with. Yeah. Who was a tourist who was more your speed? Yeah. Who, you know, that, those yeah. conversations, those sorts of interactions that naturally happen. And um, I think that was the biggest blessing. I think that's the thing I loved most about your organization was um, the conscious space that you'd left for it to just breathe. <laughs> because um, when I was younger, I used to like to organize parties you know young kids drinking parties house parties mm -hmm. and I always went into it with a lack of structure because I'd say people will drink people will get loose and relax into it and things will just happen we'll just leave mm -hmm. it um and I think as I've grown older and become a mum and become parent my style of planning was to plan every tiny detail you know like a less like a workshop what are the learning objectives what are the questions I'm going to discuss which you know minute by minute what's going to happen and how am I going to do the assessment at the end very much like a teacher and having a teaching plan and I'd lost sight of the magic that happens when you leave things to give things breathing space to develop mm -hmm. it's risky um, it is really yeah. risky and um, I'm aware that you guys had you know contingencies in place in case it did become you know stale or or anything kind of stalled um but i don't think there was any need for it at all <laughs> <laughs> yeah. anything so the stress most stress that we maybe inflicted on you was just keep corralling us all and keeping yeah. us all yeah and that was our poor planning <laughs> somehow i thought that we could do lunch in one hour. I don't know. And none of us questioned that. We just were like, an hour for lunch. That's fine. I can mm. eat my lunch in an hour and have a little bit of relaxation afterwards. And our lunches were two, three hours at times. Yeah. So, yeah. That was tough. You, we, yeah. That's, I mean, that's with, I think with any inaugural um, event, though, you would, those, it's inevitable have teething problems and if that was your only teething problem i think it, it's a pretty good one because yeah. that's uh, one that you can solve yeah and we and i think we have for for next year so we'll see yeah. but you yeah. know the things that you were saying about creating space i don't i don't think we ever consciously said we we're going to create space for people to have these discoveries or whatever or we're going to go to the mountains so that people can cleanse and then come back refreshed and have breakthroughs I think like we kept focusing on like, let's be, let's create like a really hospitable environment. Let's like handle everything for everyone so they can just relax and just like let things happen to them. So I guess in a way that's creating space, but it's, it was, it turned out to be way more than what we expected. And we also tried, we were thinking like, how can we do icebreakers so that everyone can get to know each other and gel as a group. And then the first person arrived, or I think maybe two people arrived and two people were already there and every, you know, we had the tea and the cookies and everything and everyone just started talking and bonding immediately. And we all kind of, the three of us looked at each other and we're like, oh, we don't have to do anything. Oh my God, <laughs> this is amazing. 
It was, we, yeah. it was just, it was McTube, honestly. And it was. Yeah, so many things like that. You know, like the mint sorbet, that was just so McTube. It just came out of nowhere. Yes. And everyone, was like, incredible. has these memories. The one we'll be talking about forever, that mm-hmm. mint sorbet. I, yeah. Everyone's going to hear about it for the rest of my life. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I took so many photos. It's just amazing, amazing. Yeah. But it was, it was, I think, um, now that, we all have a in culture now we all have a much better understanding of what a safe space is and why we need safe spaces and um very very quickly i felt that i was in a safe space because because i'd been because we'd been invited to express any additional needs that we had um even when we signed up and then when i arrived um before we arrived when we were chatting in the in the chat group everyone's going okay i've set off i'm going now and you know i'm at the airport it was just this really slow countdown of us all turning up and even then i was anxious and i was saying okay i'm going to be overwhelmed i'm going to need some time alone i was really really open about it Mm -hmm. um because that's that's how that's what I'm like that's what that's how I um I'm I'm quite like I said I'm an oversharer and I tend to be I will tell you about my anxiety and depression before I tell you about my breakfast you know so (laughs) (laughs) and um so but then by the time I arrived it was I think I hadn't even been sitting down for more than 10 minutes and I remember Jen first looking at me and saying are you okay are you sure you're okay and I was like, yeah, yeah, I'm okay. And he's like, you sure? Uh-huh. Yeah, okay. And then, uh, and he just, you know, just the fact that um, one of you would check in on us and one of you would um, just, I'm not even sure I can explain how you did it. It was just, um, you know, you don't, I didn't feel obliged to make conversation and to fill the silences. And then when I did need to go and hide in my room for a bit, it was very easy to do. Even though I did, because I didn't know where my room was and I needed to be shown where my room was and Jennifer needed to show me. um, It didn't feel like it was a huge ask to say, I want to go to my room to hide for a bit. It didn't feel like I was being inconvenient. It didn't feel like um it was too much um it felt like this is a very reasonable ask and of course you can go to your room to hide yeah. from it of course you need to hide yeah. from it. why wouldn't you you know yeah. it was just um implicitly accepted as okay everything was you you could ask the, the number of times i asked people to help me throughout that week that i wouldn't normally <laughs> I can't, I don't think I can count how many times I did it. And each time I was like, it's okay for them to do this for you. Yeah. They want to do it and they don't feel it's an infringement of, they don't feel yeah. it's inconvenient. Yeah. They do want to do it. It's a pleasure for them and for you. Yeah. You're not, you are not a burden to anybody here. People want to give and they just want to know what you want from them. Yeah. That's a big step for a codependent to ask for help like that. Yes, it was, it was, and then things like, um, 
I think it was on like one of the first days, uh, like if anyone wants any any babouche, and I was like, I, I want I want babouche. I don't want to go to the market, so I don't want to deal with it. Picking you, um, and I asked you for a babouche. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh my god, I've asked someone to shop for me. What am I doing? <laughs> you know, I had then, fun. Uh, and then you had fun, and I was like, oh my god, she had fun. Yeah, doing something for me. <laughs> um, so it was really strange. And then um, I remember the pom poms coming back and. And they were switched. Thinking, they were switched. And me thinking, I'm okay with that. And then I thought, am I okay with that? And it was Monique who said, um, if you're okay with that, I mean, I know my style. I that would drive me kind of nuts, but, you know, I think they're really cute as they are, or, you know, even if. And I was like, wait, let me just really check in with myself. Yeah. Am I okay yeah. with that? And if I'm not okay with that, am I okay? to ask for them to get that was a like in my head that was a massive <laughs> I know I was like, like why all... did she wait so long to tell me if you know she didn't like yes, the ketchup and mustard exactly. saying we need to switch yeah, yeah, this yeah, yeah. I know I know it, oh, I'm it proud was of a, you it was huge it was a massive thing in my head the whole time oh. we were having dinner there I in my head I was like I should just ask I should just ask I should just <laughs> say something I should just ask it's not look it's not a big deal Nobody no. got something. It wasn't that somebody got something wrong. It just happened. These things yeah. happen. Just ask, yeah. just ask. And um, and I think if the discussion with you and Monique hadn't happened, it wouldn't have entered my brain to go. Actually, am I okay with it? Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. And then and then I asked him, like, yeah, sure, no problem. I'm like, oh my God, I really made that into a bigger deal than <laughs> than it needed to be. Yeah. And then we got them switched, and I love them. I love them. Nice. I wear them around the house. <laughs> <laughs> and then time. I and then I copied yours and I got orange with orange pom poms. Oh. And I don't know if you saw the other ones. I got red with um tiny green. green. Yeah. yeah oh. I haven't so worn cute. them yet though. I have you to have find many the right to occasion. Get yes, yeah. I do. <laughs> Not as many as Jempa. But yeah, so these these are the things, these were the tiny little things that just kept happening throughout the week that like I say, they weren't just about my henna journey. They were my personal journey as well, which, mm. you know, led to um, so many huge little switches being flipped yeah. Um, yeah. in the week and then coming home and then even bigger switches being flipped by the time I, I came home. So, yeah. Yeah. So to wrap up, do you have any regrets? <laughs> I mean, you got your ring, so that regret was solved. Got my ring. I saw it. I saw you were wearing it. <laughs> Yes, I thought it's only right. Yeah. Uh, I did. I I was talking about this ring to somebody, um, one of my clients yesterday, and they noticed it and uh, complimented it. And I said, "Oh, thank you. It's a Tuareg ring. It's from uh, uh, an African tribe, Morocco. It's a vintage piece. I almost <laughs> didn't own. Oh, I didn't buy it. I turned it down because I said I don't wear rings. And then I turned it again <laughs> down again because I thought the price wasn't right. And then." got on my flight and I came home and I was still thinking and I think that was the biggest regret <laughs> that I didn't I didn't buy it when I saw it when yeah you know, that, that first instant when I put it on and it mm-hmm. it had I mean you have the same ring and you you know the feeling when you slide it on it just slides on it's yeah just very, it's feels, a very comfortable yeah it feels right yeah yes and um and that's the one thing that I did regret was like ignoring that feeling that if it feels right, why did I ignore it? Yeah. Um, and I'm grateful that we were able, you were able to help me correct it. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that's 
that was maybe the only regret. Well, I don't know. I think I feel like if I were to go again, I'd be more um, open and less judgmental of myself. Um, I feel like I was, um, but then that was part of my, my journey and it's, it was part of something that I needed to go through. Yeah. Um, I'd like to be able to do it again with a more um, open and forgiving heart for myself. So there's less of that critical voice in my brain saying, why are you even here? You don't even know if you're doing henna anymore. Why are you talking to these people that you probably won't even like? You know, <laughs> you know. I'd like to I'd like to do it with less of that yeah. horrible imposter voice in my head. But maybe you wouldn't have had such a huge breakthrough if you hadn't, you know, been going so hard in that direction. I think so, yeah. I think um that's it that was part of the reason why the breakthrough was so huge and so moving in the end um but yeah i do intend to go again i'm gonna i do intend to come again and just give it a few years break maybe yeah. wait until my next uh personal uh, <laughs> <laughs> and dilemma. you need some mctube therapy <laughs> yeah and and then reconnect yeah i'll warn my therapist <laughs> yeah exactly get ready for this thing but then you might yeah. be expecting so much and then it won't come. It has yeah, to come I think, up on you. I think that's another reason why I want to wait because I don't I don't want to go with um, expectations. I don't want to go with, um, you know, want needing something out of it. Mm-hmm. I'd like to be able to go again with no expectations. Yeah. You know, just completely, I'm going to go there and just let it happen to me. Yeah. Yeah. And it'll be a different group every time. So the dynamic may be different. Hopefully better. Exactly. Or the same. Yes. Even if it's the same, it'll be magic. You know, it can only it can only get better, I think, with um over time. And um if I think if the inaugural event could be so um make tube so magical, um yet so fretful on the organizing side as you grow into it and get more relaxed it can only get more relaxed for everyone yeah 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 i think it'll be nice if people don't have to be herded around and rushed as much that'll be a big Mm. improvement and allow people to relax more i didn't i i guess i'm i was happy to be herded around um, oh that's good (laughs) i i didn't i wasn't too just getting getting hungry was my only thing but that's anyone you know and yeah. that can happen even if that's not um a group lunch organized by you that can happen just like if i went to any restaurant on my own and they were they were slower or yeah you know, they were overwhelmed it could happen to any of us it's not always you know on you as an as an organizer um so those like i said those problems seem like problems that you can manage and problems that you can preempt and, and handle yeah but um yeah I'd, I'd definitely do it again and i've i i still can't really fully uh, like there's loads more that happened and that we could talk about i'm sure mm-hmm. 
we'll have to do another episode on this. I know. That's like so uh, like so a much. kind of like like uh, follow up in like six months mm. after MacTube or something. Like where are they yeah. now? Yeah, it's just it's some. I'm there's a part of me that's quite sad because we've had enough time pass now where it feels quite distant, and there's a sort of when I think about it, there's a sort of longing longing that I I just want to sort of be close to even just a week after the event I want to be back there yeah rather than here like so far yeah. away I can feel us all growing because we've all returned to our daily lives mm-hmm. we've all become immersed in our you know um daily habits and obligations and responsibilities and that magic that um we all charged up with while we were in Marrakesh is slowly not yeah. fading away but it's getting drowned out with life yeah yeah it is I know our group chat has gotten quiet so I don't know maybe we should organize a little uh like a half day zoom session or something where we all just yeah. kind of meet up maybe we could learn something mm. I, I know Khadija was very very uh, happy was very open to doing a zoom practice yeah session. yeah um but it may just end up me hating hating the syringe again <laughs> I just oh god that was humbling that was very was. humbling for me that, that very first day of picking up the syringe I was like oh my god I hate this why did mm-hmm. I sign mm-hmm. <laughs> why am I even doing henna <laughs> the, those were my exact thoughts I thought god I can't even do this I really shouldn't even be here exactly <laughs> it was exactly that um like which is like I say, a part of the domino effect, like everything built up to that mm-hmm. that moment in the valley where I thought, well, that's it. I guess I'm going to start detaching myself from henna. I mean, I hate the syringe. I hate everything I did with the syringe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm jaded in all my lessons. I'm sitting at the back of the class. I think it's time. I think it's okay. I've made my peace with it. It's time, <laughs> to, le- time to let it go. It's been, a, it's been good yeah. and it's given me some wonderful years, but maybe now's the time to move on yeah Yeah. and then Fatima's lesson and then massive U-turn amazing yeah (laughs) well thank you so much for taking so much time out of your day I really appreciate this conversation has been fascinating and I've learned a lot and now I have to figure out how to how to program psychological breakthroughs for everyone in the future (laughs) it's a lot of pressure (laughs) It's uh, it's been a pleasure, and I did say to you before when you invited me, I was like, I, I have a feeling it's going to be more therapeutic for me to just <laughs> t- talk about everything and and not censor anything. Yeah, um, I just I I have a it's my secret pastime. Something I secretly love to do is be on podcasts with other people because I like having conversations that involve a lot of oversharing. Mm-hmm. and if they're recorded and other people listen to it and go yes me too then I'm like this is the best thing ever why don't I do yeah. podcasts more yeah exactly well we would love to have you back it sounds like you have a lot more to say so <laughs> we'll find some time just... for that yeah <laughs> but yeah we're keeping the we're keeping the podcast going and right now we're just interviewing attendees but you know we'll, we could find another topic to talk about in the future anytime i'll make time for you guys all right (laughs) i'd really enjoy it yeah same well thank you so much this has been fascinating and um gratifying to know that we 
we were part of your journey. Yes. <laughs> and you were part of our journey. Part. Yes. Thank you. Right. I'm so grateful. Oh, me too. Thank you very much. All right. Have a good rest of your day, Connie. You too. Thank you. Bye. Thanks. Bye.